0: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. I'm Dave Selecki. This week, we have 11-time American NATC Women's Trial Champion Christy Williams, and we're looking forward to talking to her but first we wanted to open the show with a little bit of news from the road racing world again it's thin days for content in the road racing world but there was a MotoGP test a meaningful one in sepang in uh, malaysia and on the end of the weekend we had some surprise results i will tell you the top 20 finishers after three days of combined results Inside of one second, that's 20 human beings on a roughly two-minute racetrack, all within one second of one another. Top finisher on the combined results, Fabio Quartararo on a non-factory Yamaha, which is a good sign for him. His uh, satellite team is going to be very happy. Cal Crutchlow. The raging Brits came flying in on uh, on his Honda. Then, of course, Alex Rins, the superstar Suzuki team rider, factory rider. Notable other finishers, Valentino Rossi in a very respectable fifth place. He was the fastest factory Yamaha with, uh, again, Fabio well ahead of him in first. Uh, His teammate, Maverick Vinales, a bit further back in 16th place, but still well inside of, uh, you know, roughly a half second back. The Honda teammates, the brothers, Alex and Mark Marquez, Alex being the, the rookie to the class, Finished overall 18th, only seven-tenths off of Cortoraro out front. His brother, Mark, multiple world champion, reigning world champion, only four-tenths off the leader, but in 13th place. So an interesting start to be not yet quite our road racing season. And let's now talk about, with those results, uh, Supercross, Dave. Yeah, for sure. Um, this weekend, man, uh, San
1: Diego, uh, another... Another great round of Supercross racing, had uh, 450 class just jumping. The reigning champ, Cooper Webb, comes out of nowhere, pressures uh, Ciancerullo into uh, a couple of bobbles there and pulls
0: off the win. Yeah, that was an impressive battle they had. Cirulo, uh in the main tried to answer back. He didn't just give it away, but uh, ultimately Cooper Webb put a little gap on everybody, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, and, uh, you know, he's solidly third in the points, which... At this point in the season, you know, you really gotta keep an eye on the guy. And he's a defending champ. So, you know, he knows how to win. He's a solid rider, he's got solid results. And, you know, Tomac had a rough night, had a Tomac like start, started out about tenth on the on the on the start of the race and worked his way up to fourth. So unlike Tomac, it didn't get inside his head and derail his night. So
0: he's still in it. He's in a solid second points. He actually picked up points on Roxon. Everybody in the top five who isn't Ken Roxon picked up points on the points leader Ken Roxon, including Tomac. He's now only one back, as I understand. Yeah, he is exactly uh, 129
1: points to 130. Surprise of the night to me, though, was uh, Blake Baggett. The guy whole shots and you know just looks
0: solid. He is sneaky, El Cupacabre man. He just he <laughs> he uh, he really did it well. Absolutely, he looked great, and he he faced and and faced down a very stiff competition from behind. Tomac never made ground on him. He made some great passes. Uh, yeah, he looked really strong. And in the 250 class, how about our uh, reigning champ uh, making a statement there too? Yeah, he's a stud. I tell you, aggressive. Didn't give in to anybody. Made some really,
1: you know, I wouldn't say. Uh, Dirty passes, but very, very aggressive passes, and he's he's under the microscope because he's on probation, and uh, just looks solid. Frandsen is the is the guy. He worked on Faulkner well, and Faulkner even admitted after the race, you know, man, I, I just I, this can't keep happening to me that late in the
0: race and losing the lead. But Frandsen is a force, man. He's he's just solid. Absolutely, and as you said, uh, on the evening, Ferrandis wins over Forkner. Justin Cooper, a respectable third place. Uh, they're they're pretty tight in points in that class as well. Uh, Ferrandis got a little gap on him though. Yeah, it's 135 for
1: Ferrandis, down to 128 for Cooper. So it's a you know it's a tight spread. So here's the thing that came into into play in the 250 class, which I haven't seen all season, is lappers. I think you might, have heard, you might have heard Forkner talk about it after the race. That was the first Supercross this year where I really saw them possibly affect the outcome. It might have slowed Forkner down enough that Ferrandez got up there and was able to put the pass. But up until then, I you know, lappers are always a problem, right? But Absolutely. Yeah, but this particular race, I think it, it may have had an effect on the outcome. We'll just keep an eye on that. I mean, the track was fast in one line, which
0: doesn't help things probably exacerbated the, uh, the Lapper problem. Absolutely, and, and the same happened arguably in the 450. I don't think it affected the outcome, but uh, Tomac was clearly a little chapped with Barsha afterwards, and <laughs> if you were watching the stopwatch, uh, they both lost a significant amount of time in the moments of their uh, battle with one another. They dropped three or four seconds, arguably just battling each other. They essentially both put it in park a couple of times. Yeah, they did. They slowed each other down, and that's what happened. So so back to the 450s
1: real quickly. I got one point to make. There's an interesting stat that I heard over the weekend that no rider starting his seventh season having not won the Supercross championship has never won the title. Well, the two guys leading the points in the 450 class are starting their seventh season this year.
0: So it's going to be interesting. And one of them is going to get that dubious honor. Of being the guy who did not win the title, one of them's hopefully you know it's it could still be anybody's game, but those two front runners, uh, you know, again assuming they don't do anything tragic, are odds on. I would say. So your money's still on Tomac? I think he's just due. I mean, it's a, you can't discount Roxon. He's got they're even on wins for the season. They're clearly essentially even on points. Uh, they're both seasoned veterans. You can't count out, obviously, uh, the guy who won on the night and reminded everyone why he's the defending t- champion. There's four guys, five guys at the front. I mean, all the way back to Anderson, the poor guy. We didn't say his name because just can't catch a break. No, he's, he's, he's having a tough it, year. He's having a tough year, and it's not always his fault, but it nonetheless, it adds up to, dang it, he can't catch a break. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So as they head back east,
1: finally, so uh, folks like uh, you and I won't have to stay up as late to watch the race. <laughs>
0: looking forward <laughs> um, to that.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Those late nights are killing me. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be exciting, and I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going to say Tomac wins it this year. He's my guy. He's always been my guy. I really hope I don't jinx him saying that, but uh, I think as we go east, those are more his kind of track. He's got a different mindset this year. He looks more solid the mistakes aren't affecting him negatively like they have in the past. So he's—I'm going to go with him. I think we're seven rounds in now. We can—we can—we can say that.
0: Right on. Well, I'm with you. That is—it's going to be a great season. Still, just can't wait. Every week's a blast to watch, and now we get to watch the East Coast 250 guys. So I'm looking forward to that as well. FitPass Moto Trivia Question
1: of the Week is What year was the present day motorcycle control layout made standard?
0: We'll be right back with our guest, Christy Williams, professional trials rider and now team captain manager. Thank you for joining us on FitPass. Welcome, Christy Williams, to Pit Pass. Thank you for joining us. Christy, our guest, has been recently named the Sherco Factory One Moto Trials Team Manager for 2020. On top of that illustrious title, she has a mountain of personal triumphs that we're going to let her tell us all about. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So let's talk about your new role. Um, First of all, Sherco a brand that anyone in any uh, facet of motorcycle racing is probably familiar with. They are one of uh, the smaller players, but seem to be fast on the rise. And clearly they're, uh, they're bringing in talented individuals such as yourself. How'd you get involved with Sherco?
2: I've been in the trials industry for years. um, And then Sherco started off with a trials bike. They didn't introduce the enduro bike for quite a few years. And, um, So now we're known in all the disciplines, but, um, yeah, I, I met with the owner of the factory one team on a project that he has called super trial, which is basically like an X trial. So it's an indoor style stadium trial. Um, and I was helping him organize that and I do the announcing for it. And then we got along really great. And we, you know, started talking about what his vision was for his trials team and then we went from there.
0: So so Christy, I have to believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, clearly you are a talented writer. We can take, um, we're completely out of the equation. You are an uber-talented writer. Are you the first woman in this type of role within uh, the trials world?
2: Yes, I would say that I'm the first woman in this type of role, but uh, this type of role hasn't really existed for that long. So Um, trials has always been a bit of a backyard sport where we tend to exist a little bit below the radar. Everybody's kind of heard of trials or maybe seen it, you know, on a YouTube video, but not a ton of, you know, real media footage. So we've had really small teams that haven't really necessitated a manager. And now, especially with this big push from Factory One Motorsports, we're looking at becoming a bigger team and trying to help trials become a bigger sport more along the lines of, you know, not necessarily a supercross, that might be a little bit of an overreach, but in that general direction where we're going to have teams with more riders on them, teams with more sponsors, teams with more media coverage. So yes, I'm the first woman in a job like this, but it's very rare. There are just, they're, this wasn't an opportunity five years ago. So it, it's pretty
1: awesome. It is exciting to see a manufacturer invest heavily in the U.S. in the trials market. We know in Europe, that Trials is very big, and Asia too, really, and it's a disservice because it's, it's really one of the most elegant, entertaining, challenging forms of motorcycling out there. So what do they have planned for this year in addition to you managing the team and the nuts and bolts of you know schedules and getting riders and bikes and parts? What do they have planned to promote the series more than they have in the past?
2: So for us, we are traveling with one of the biggest teams, I've got 15 riders on my team from our, you know, top pro riders. We've got Pat Maji, He's 11 time U.S. national champion. And that's unheard of. We've never had anybody win 11. And then I've got um, past U.S. national women's champion Louise Fordley as uh, one of our top lady riders. And then I've got some kids who are young as 12, which is also really cool that we're starting the programs earlier. We're not just going after all of the pros who are, you know, kind of already able to get sponsors on their own. We're trying to get some grassroots riders up and into the program. So we're going to all the U.S. national events. We're going to be at all the super trial events. We're going to be at the AMA youth nationals, which a lot of the manufacturers struggle to get to. There's not a ton of money right now kicking around in trials. Like I said, it's very grassroots mom and pop kind of scenario. So I'm, you know, I'm not, hitting on the other manufacturers but it's just it's impossible the country's massive and it's so hard to be you know in california one weekend and then the next weekend you got to go all the way to the trials training center in tennessee and it's just it's it's such a crazy demand so i'm really proud that we're able to kind of overcome those logistical details and then that we also have the financial backing to make it a reality so we're going to all the events and when we're there We're going to be supporting all of our riders, but then we also travel with a trailer full of parts, so if you have any kind of, you know, recent within the last six or so years of a Sherco, we should have parts for you, so we want to get as many Shercos up and running and finishing events and and doing as best they can to represent the brand.
0: And I'm familiar, Christy, with other manufacturers uh, doing region, be it regional or local races, and then combining with that essentially test ride events are you able to do or are you doing that kind of thing uh, you know a la ktm shows up at off-road races and they bring a trailer full of bikes to certain events and you sign up yamaha does the same thing and maybe you get to try out some of the machines is that something you guys engage in at all during the course of the season or no
2: not so much for the trials bikes for the enduro bikes I do know that we have a lot of demo days that we're planning because the enduro bikes are fairly new on the U S market where the importership with RYP is just fresh for midway through 2019 because you know, the bikes come in a bit early. The Sherco enduro's are going to be at different events and having demo days and stuff like that. The trials bikes, which have been around for a little bit longer, not necessarily. However, getting in touch with your local dealers because it's such a grassroots mom and pop thing if you phone up any trials dealer and this is blanket statement of any manufacturer or whatever, if you see somebody with a trials bike and you say, Hey, that's a cool bike. Can I talk to you about trials? Or can I try your bike? Hands down. They'll say yes. Every single time. It's like, do you ride trials? Did we just become best friends? Yep. (laughs) And the next thing you know, you're hooked.
1: You're absolutely right. I've met many trials riders over the years and that exactly here, ride my bike. And here's the funny thing, Christy. It is, uh, You think you know how to ride, get on a trials bike, (laughs) and you'll find out you don't know how to ride.
2: (laughs) I'm just coming off my my job previous to this. I was working at a motocross track as an instructor, and I taught trials lessons, but then I also did hard enduro a little bit, as all trials riders, when they retire from trials, go and they do some hard enduro. So I was doing lessons there, and I ended up, the trials lessons were super popular. I was getting the motocrossers coming, and they're like, we want to try this. We've seen it. It looks so cool." And just within the first hour, just basically begging for mercy. How do you do this? Going slow is so hard. (laughs) It is. But coming away from it with a lot of, you know, valuable skills that would transfer over onto their motocross bikes or their internal bikes. They just loved it. Couldn't
1: agree with you more. I've I've actually, I can remember in the past that was used as a cross-training platform for motocross or even off-road. I mean, the skills you learn in trials transfer over. 100% agree. It's it's so challenging to do. And I
2: think... Yeah, I think a lot of people see it for transferring over to enduro and hard enduro and things like that. The motocrossers don't always see it right away because it is such a slow sport. But the biggest comment that I got from the motocross riders was that their clutch work improved in their corners. Their corners became much faster because their clutch work improved by so much. It's across all disciplines, and I don't know that motocross riders see it as much, but it's there. It's such a great way, especially if that's your first way that you started riding motorcycles, you know?
1: Sure, for sure. And I think for a lot of motocrossers, their first reaction to an obstacle is more throttle. And a lot of times on a trials bike, it's the complete opposite. You know, you need to think backwards almost, or it's just, they're hardwired differently, I guess.
2: It's a lot of planning. And that, again, so clutch work is a huge thing. And then the other thing is that because, like you said, we work backwards, we're always scouting ahead and picking our line. And I think that transfers over into other disciplines. So in a hard enduro we may be a little bit slower as we approach an obstacle because we're taking the time to pick the line and work backwards. But because we've picked the right line, you know, we'll scoot through something fairly easily, we'll save some time there, we'll save some physical energy, and then we'll be on our way faster. So it's it's a benefit and that'll help in a motocross corner too, coming in and being able to like pick your line and pick your rut and know where you're gonna go and stick to it. It that transfers over also.
0: So it brings the brings up the point uh, your involvement you said you've got some women on your team are you seeing more women get into this sport or is it always held the same interest for for the women that you've encountered while being in the sport because you've been in this sport for quite some time it, it's worth noting uh I, I presume from a fairly young age you were very involved in the trials uh, competitions
2: yeah it's a it's a family sport for me so this is what i grew up with my first bike was a ty80 and that's how i learned how to ride And then I didn't really do much with it. I was a very, you know, Sunday, fun day kind of casual rider until they made a women's class in 1998 in the U.S. Nationals. So I got to see some other ladies compete at a national and I saw them ride in April. The first event of the season was in Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, close-ish to my house. And I saw them ride and I'm like, I can do that. And by the end of the summer, by August, I was able to compete in my first national in Arizona. Since then, we struggled through and it was a really, really small class. There was just the three of us and people said, oh, you know, we don't need a ladies class and this is never going to work. And then now they're running three, four different lines in the U.S. National Series. And each of those lines has three to four ladies on it. You know what I mean? So it's just when the opportunity is there, the ladies are stepping up. And so I think it's, I think it's growing and I think for people to start, to learn to ride a motorcycle trials is such a lady-friendly way. The bikes are, you know, 150 pounds, so it's a little bit more in your weight class. It's a little bit slower because sometimes the speed can be intimidating right off the bat. Yeah, the stuff that you see on YouTube videos can be fairly, you know, exciting and spicy, but it's very much a choose-your-own-adventure. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do without being wild and crazy, and I think that ladies like that. It's a lot more balance and precision, which lends itself to, you know, lady skill sets. So they definitely have an advantage on a trials bike to learn, as opposed to jumping on like a big 450 motocrosser and hoping for the best.
0: Christy, what do you think? Uh, clearly, there there's a lot of reasons you've been selected for the role that you're now in. I from just from talking to you, it's clear that you're an ambassador for the sport. It seems at the highest level than than your own team and your own brand. Are the riders that are now on your team, what are they looking to you for? You know, what what do you see as your role for your team members beyond just getting them to a race and making sure the logistics happen?
2: I think because I've been there for so many years, it's cool for me to know what they're going through. I think that's important. I also have a university degree in kinesiology, which is sports science, so helping them train and figure out their training program. I created an off-bike like a gym routine that is motorcycle specific you do a lot of exercises literally holding handlebars you know just to mimic what you're going to be doing on the bike and so stuff like that's super helpful and then i did compete in the world championship for eight years maybe so i've spent quite a bit of time overseas and you know figuring out some of the ropes there and getting to know people so it's nice because i have relationships over there where you know, I've got a couple guys on my team who want to go overseas and I can make a call and be like, okay, I've got a rider who's interested. Can we get a place to stay? Can we, you know, help him out? Or, you know, what's the regulations on your, you know, requirements for your helmet, decals and that kind of thing. So it's, it's nice that I'm getting to use that experience and not just to be a story that, you know, you tell around the campfire when you're 80 and you're like, "When back in my day, but I'm actually putting it to practical use here. And I'm like, well, when I went over, this is what we did. Let's see if we can get that for you or one better now a couple years later and, and see how it works. So I like to think I'm of service to them.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that you aren't of service to them. It's it's an impressive thing. and. Sherco has got to be really uh, thinking uh, of expanding their presence in the U.S. Clearly, if they're just they're bringing, it would seem, their whole game to a higher level, uh, this level of professionalism leading the way with uh, someone doing the job that you're now doing. What are you looking forward to most? Is it, You'd mentioned having young kids on a team. That is interesting that you get to have uh, such a wide range of riders. Do you pick up more people over the year or is this uh, play by year?
2: A little bit play by ear you know we watch some of I've got some older riders on my team and trials is one of those great sports where people you know pick it up when they're young and they stick with it so we've got people riding the U.S. Nationals we have a senior 75 class and they're out there having a great time so it's, it's not like they you know that they we're kicking people off the team but generally whenever riders get to be about you know 28 or 30 then they think well maybe I should settle down a little bit or that kind of thing, maybe not travel so much for the sport. So, you know, as we lose some riders, we want to be able to pick up some riders and just watch the ones coming up. So it's actually really great for us to have that manufacturer presence at the youth nationals to, you know, we're helping them out, but we're also scouting for talent. So... I think that's really great. And I think for trials, there's a lot of times where the country's so big and we're so spread out that we're not really getting the instruction that we need. And there's books everywhere. There's like, you know, basketball for dummies or track and field for dummies. And you can go and you can look through it and pick up some tips or some tricks or some, you know, drills that you would do. And there's no thing like that for trials. Right, you really have to find that one person who's willing to work with you. And I've been lucky, I've had a bunch of really great mentors. My dad was my coach for a long time and even now I rode an event yesterday and my dad's out there coaching me, yelling at me. So I think it's really important to to work with the youth and be able to give them the opportunity and and then a little bit to see what's out there for them. You know, for me growing up without a ladies class in the nationals, I was content to be a Sunday rider because what else would I do? And then all of a sudden there was a ladies class and I'm like, well, maybe I could do that. And, and you had a goal to work towards and you started to work towards it. So now, you know, you get the kids saying that, oh, well, maybe I could be on this team. Maybe I could be part of this, you know, the Sherco factory one team. And that's cool. I could work hard to work towards that. So I think giving them the opportunity and letting them see what's out there now that there's going to be opportunities for trials riders, even me, I didn't think a job like this was possible. It didn't exist. And then once the job is possible, I'm like, oh, Eat first. Let's do this. So I think it's really, really cool to be able to work with the youth and and help them see that there's something out there. And that our big goal is that we want to be able to compete on a world level. And it's been a while since, you know, we've had a lot of riders over there competing. Every Every generation, you get one or two people who's over there like taking a stab at it, but really struggling because they're on their own. Whereas if we could have three or four riders that are going over there together and they're able to, you know, get a van together and show up to all the events and help each other out, it would be a very different scenario. So we'd like to really promote the sport in America so that we can get to that level.
0: That's impressive. And it's what we're seeing in other arenas of two-wheeled motorsports. The very same thing is, is in the road racing world. Where as collectively there's there's a group of people with ho- hopefully enough sway to start organizing riders and and building stepping stones which is what it sounds like you're talking about start them young show them the way develop the skills and then and give them a fighting advantage for when they might have the opportunity to get overseas and compete at the world level Christy, again, we want to say thank you for joining us on Pit Pass and also want to give you a chance to thank any sponsors or anyone in particular you'd like to mention. You've, you've had a, a good long career and it sounds like the next chapter is going to be just as exciting as the one so far.
2: For sure. Just uh, on my way up, obviously, I want to thank my family for putting so much time and effort into helping me be a trials rider. So that's like my dad is my coach and my mom Best pit mom ever. Sandwiches for everyone.
0: That's awesome.
2: <laughs> and then uh, I want to sh- thank the Factory One Motorsports team for giving me the opportunity. Sherco, what a great brand, and just really making this big push so that we can get as many people riding trials and getting to the next level as possible. And then on the Factory One team, we have a bunch of sponsors, and I'm going to list them and I hope I don't forget anybody. FXR Gears sponsoring us, Dunlop Tires, Motul, VP Fuels, Funnel Web Filters. Aero helmets, Garnet boots. It's a huge, massive team effort to, you know, make this happen with 15 people on the team and and being able to get to all the events. So just our sponsors are totally where it's at, and we want to promote them and just take trials to the next level.
0: Awesome, Christy. Well, thank you again for joining us on Pit Pass. We want to thank Christy Williams for being part of our show, and we look forward to what you bring to the sport and Sherco in the future. Thanks again, Christy.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: We'd like to thank Christy Williams Richards for joining us today. The uh, Sherco Factory Moto One Trials Team Captain for 2020. Really great girl and great talking to her. Learned a lot in uh, trials. If you get a chance to go out and check it out, it is one of the most exciting forms of motorcycling you can watch and extremely challenging. This week's hit Pass trivia question of the week was, what year was present day motorcycle control layout made standard? And the answer, is 1972 mvss123 which was the standard that uh, standardized motorcycle controls foot controls shift left and rear brakes right hand controls left and front brake right i still mess it up but that is how a motorcycle is supposed to be laid out how about you pj
0: yeah it's uh, it's supposed to be the right answer of course i've uh, had forays into flat tracking and i have Pretty much my entire life been around various vintage of motorcycles. So that is the exact year, 72, because I have numerous friends that have right in that vintage, 69, 71, those eras of Triumphs, Nortons. And they still had Goofy as in opposite shift patterns. You had the shifter on the right versus the left. So I've encountered that. And, of course, in the flat track world, it's still somewhat common to move that brake over to the right side so that you've got access to it all the way around a flat track course but yes it made life easier for a young guy trying to steal motorcycles from family and friends to know exactly <laughs> which one way. was the which one was the clutch and which
1: one was the brake i can come to grips with the left and right shift brake left and right that's not a big deal I, that doesn't bother me but the hand controls. so do you ride mountain bikes pj absolutely and
0: the brakes are opposite aren't they
1: exactly so every time i get a mountain bike the first thing i do is i swap them so that that front brake is where it belongs cuz invariably i grab the wrong one you're
0: so correct yep and my and i've got a scooter it there are some scooters not all where it's no i guess scooters have stayed the right way it's mostly my mountain bikes my road bikes cuz i have a pretty good sized fleet of bicycles And yes, I have switched it on my mountain bike that has disc brakes because I have sent myself over the bars inadvertently a couple times.
1: Well, I do it anyway, but inadvertently, I guess, grabbing the lever at the wrong time.
0: (laughs) Grabbing the wrong lever. I go over (laughs) the bars for uh, numerous reasons, but that one I can take off the table usually. I'm convinced mountain bikes are put on this world to hurt people. And they do a fine job of it. Well, I'll lead with a, a little bit of upcoming news. We've got so the Sepang test I mentioned for MotoGP was the first of the year. There are a total of three more tests in the coming weeks, leading to we're now under one month away from the beginning of the MotoGP circus slash series for the year. March six through eight, that weekend will be in Qatar or Qatar, depending on how you pronounce that, for the opening round of the 2020 MotoGP series cannot wait under 30 days and we're right about that mark as well for the daytona 200 bike week deal so we've got road racing my passion kicking off in less than 30 days that's awesome good to see coming supercross racing
1: coming up uh, this weekend is the tampa supercross february 15th that's saturday night and that is the beginning of the 250 supercross East series so we're going to see again as i said before a new mix of riders and all kinds of excitement Yep, a couple of rookies too, right? A couple of rookies, and what you do have happen a lot of times is some 450 riders will step down to the 250 series to ride the East Series. So it gets to be interesting when that happens because you got guys that you see on one one class jumping to
0: another. And don't you usually get some 250 West riders who conversely bump up to a 450 to give it a go?
1: Absolutely you do, so I'm, I'm kind of anxious to
0: see who that might be. Right on, me too. Well, I'm looking forward to it. thank you again to our guests for being with us today and thank you for tuning in if you enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded of course make sure you also follow us on twitter facebook and pitpass this has been a production of evergreen Podcasts. a special thank you to ed coolenkamp social media contributor Chris Bishop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ and I'm Dave. See you next week on Pit Pass.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.